Fair use, YouTube, fair use. The Italians didn't tell me you were young. Same for you, man. But unlike you, I have my crew behind me. Someone painted the walls with your people out in Newark. You're alone. Well, as you can see, I'm still here. And I ain't going nowhere. You see, when shit get real for me, I don't run. I don't get on no raft or no inner tube. Whatever the fuck it is you float here on. I stay in my fucking world. I stay in my fight. Yeah, yeah, we don't flee. Yeah, 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 yeah. Since the since the, since the seventeen hundreds, since the eighteen hundreds, nigga, we don't flee. We stay. In, you heard what he said. We stay and fight. We don't get on boats and inner tubes, and we don't beg white mommy and white daddy. We stay and we fight as the descendants of slaves we is. Damn it. Whatever the fuck it is you feel here, I stay in my fucking war. I stand in our fight. And see, he was, look, fair use YouTube. He was respecting his gangster. Now, this is a very interesting. Watch this part. My people in Southeast Asia put the heroin on boats. It gets unloaded in Canada. Then the Italians truck it down to New York. From there, it gets dispersed to local distributors. Up until now, we've kept it close. Only work with people we know. But the fishmonger vouched for you. And that counts for something. We'll start you with a small package. See how you do. You use my cousin's Chinese restaurant for distribution. It's in your neighborhood. He said it's in your neighborhood. You heard that? Now, this is a Vietnamese dude that says he got the heroin plug. But he said this is in your neighborhood. I want y'all to understand that. While I appreciate the look, I found my own spot. You either sell out of my cousin's restaurant or you don't sell at all. Why the fuck you need me if you could go to your cousin? My cousin's Chinese. And I don't fuck with the Chinese. Mm. What you mean you don't fuck with the Chinese, man? All you people is from the same cradle of civilization. I don't understand. Chinese think they're better than the rest of us. Act like they own the fucking place and everyone else is just renting. Mm. Well, the fuck the Chinese. So Why he's basically, now you see now, now listen to that, y'all. I want y'all to really drill that to your head. To separate ourselves from the folks that don't want to call themselves black, whatever the case may be, when the descendants of the slaves is like, wait a minute, we got to get have a Negro, we got to have a Negro Nuremberg. We got to have a civil war. We got to have a Negro civil war. We got to get all the Sambos and the Tethers and the Coons. We got to get all these niggas away. We got to get them up out of the mix. But as you can, and people say, well, that's divisive. You see, this, look, man, they didn't just make this up and just throw this in as a script. This is real chat right here. They're just kind of just telling on themselves. These folks is like, hey, look, yeah, I'm Asian, but yeah, no, no, no. We some, we different, nigga. We don't rock with y'all like that. The Chinese cousin then. Because I have a Chinese wife. He's bewildered. He's like, I got a Chinese, you got a Chinese wife? Like, what? He's like, wait a minute. Motherfuck the Chinese. So how you got a Chinese cousin then? Because I have a Chinese wife. 
that's what we love. Ain't that the damn truth? Fair use, YouTube. So this restaurant guy, it's your wife's cousin. She's been on my ass to help him. It's one thing to be married to a Chinese, another thing altogether to be in business with one. So, are we good? Fuck it. I've been feeling that sweet and sour lately anyway. Most of their food's shit. Wouldn't feed it to my fucking dog. They got a couple soups I like though. <laughs> he's digging it. See, dude, see, he's a gangster. He's a gangster. He's he's a gangster. Man, what's going on, y'all? Welcome to the Bagland Podcast. This is Bagland DP, where we discuss politics, tech, and tangibles. It's been a minute. A nigga been a little sick. I had to get my, my immune system together. Winning one presidential election does not guarantee you will win the next. You know that. I know that. What you have to do is maintain the constituency that won for you the first time, and if possible, expand it, which brings us to something the Biden White House is concerned about, that core constituency from 2020, specifically for this conversation, African-Americans, to help us understand this a bit better. CBS News political contributor Ashley Etienne joins us now. Ashley is also the former communications director for Vice President Kamala Harris and former House Speaker Nancy Pelosi. All right, Ashley, uh -oh. describe the depth of concern and how legitimate that concern is. Well, I mean, it's almost to the point of hair on fire within the party. Okay. I mean, as uh, the New York Times reported just yesterday, I believe that um, African-American male leaders in particular went and met with the White House and really made the point and sounded the alarm that we're having some, that the party's having some problem with black voters. There's poll after poll Do that's say. showing that upwards of 22% of African-Americans are saying in key battleground states that they're willing to not support President Biden. Oh, y'all are done. A Democrat that's ever won an election, specifically the White House, with less than 80% of the African-American vote. So as you can imagine, this is incredibly alarming. The other thing that makes it, you know, uh, I would say a major concern for the party is that the trend is moving in the wrong direction. African-Americans are starting to support uh, the Republican Party in higher numbers. 6% in 2016. 8% no, we want the same money that y'all giving to the Ukrainians and you giving it to the illegals in New York and Chicago that's sitting up there at O'Hare Airport. That's what we want. Give us our damn tangibles and our reparations. Give us our anti-black racism crime bill. We don't want to hear any more excuses. We don't need Al Sharpton to come out with a fried chicken Popeye sandwich. We don't need any of that. You know what we want. Give us what we want. Oh, well, we can't give you Negroes that. You need to pull up your own bootstraps. And oh, you black Americans are lazy or whatever. Well, guess what? Get ready for Don, Don J with the toupee. Because he's going to come in. And you know what? I'm I'm just fine with that. I don't mind at all. Well, you know the black, the boogeyman, and he's gonna come in and he's gonna build the wall. Oh, okay, all right, fine. Oh well, whatever. We'll see y'all another four years till y'all get it together. We'll see y'all. We'll see y'all another four years when when you decide you want to get it together. You ain't getting no more free votes. Now look at this right here. Aides to Mayor Brandon Johnson and building owners say that no one is getting rich off the shelters. BS. City is paying well, 
paying well more than typical rent for migrant shelter buildings and detailing details and basically they're saying that they're keeping the details secret in the west loop johnson aides ultimately approved deals to convert three former office buildings into migrant housing at a cost to the city of as much as 1.3 million a month that tab is just for renting the space. It don't include food, services. The city has opened 22 other shelters, mostly in privately owned buildings whose owners will be compensated at rates not yet revealed to the public. So what this is, is this is, this is more rich white people getting another bag to bring these illegals up in here. The city is obligated to pay far more to use the West Loop properties than they were generating before they were used as shelters. While they're telling us what they can't do. DP can't get a black business loan. That nigga ain't LGBT. He ain't wearing this nigga ain't putting on a bra and a sexy red and a sexy red twerk twerk dress. <laughs> that's why I ain't getting no that's why I ain't getting no damn black business loan. I'm not putting a thong up my ass and running down Lake Street. You see? That, see, that's what we have to deal with. We got to deal with all of that. Check this out. Now, we're going to run through this real quick. Now, this was on Haran.com. One of my homies sent this. This is December 8th by Becky Derndeck. Dernback. Six Somali families warned of legal recourse if St. Lewis Park schools won't let children opt out of the LGBTQ picture books. A law firm representing six Somali Muslim students sent a letter to the St. Paul, St. The St. Louis Park Board and interim superintendent saying they will pursue legal recourse if the district does not allow them to opt their children out of LGBT characters. The first Liberty Institute, a conservative Texas-based law firm focused on the religious freedom sent the letter on November 2nd laying out an explanation of Islamic teaching about gender and sexuality, a timeline of parents' complaints to teachers and principals about the books, and allegations of violations of the U.S. Constitution, Minnesota law, and St. Louis Park District policy. Yeah, they don't want that crap. It says also the St. Louis Park letter is the latest escalation in the growing pushback from some Muslim parents, including exclusion efforts in Minnesota schools. Dozens of Muslim parents in Ham Lake and Burnsville have criticized efforts to protect transgender children or expand LGBTQ books in school. Yeah, they ain't having it. Now, it looks like they're they're at some uh, they got a Somali parent committee at a Burnsville school. 300 parents gathered to share their feels about share their fears about LGBT issues in Burnsville schools. No, they're not having it. This is a good step in the right direction. They don't need it. It's not really going to help. This ain't really this ain't going to help us. Black folks need to get down with that too. Say, "Hey, look. No." Absolutely not. We not having it. We're not having this at all.
Did you guys hear about this? Oh, they didn't took that off. This is this was something with the Kansas City PD where they let some some rapist out or some serial killer. That seemed like that's been going on for a while, but I wasn't able to pull that up on Twitter. So let's just go ahead and cover some of the old business here. Let's go ahead. Now here's something interesting. Now I don't know how accurate this is, but this is this is a sister right here. Now this they said somebody somebody po pointed this out online saying an elder speaks on her lineage lineage, her family owning land, not being slaves and being Choctaw. Nowhere else. And my dear, okay then, so we wasn't in slavery like they were saying, was it? No, no. Because uh -uh. Grandma in was, was in the 1800s, because we can go almost four or five generations back. So Grandma in was in from um uh our land is our land, 900 acres of land, right? Mm -hmm. 900 acres, Daniel. They called the Blue Family Road. They done took his son down now. Uh-huh, but it's... Exactly, exactly. And our grandma Hester and our grandpa Al was uh Abba, Abba, Grandpa Abba. And and our names is our name. We didn't get no name from no white people, did we? No, no, you know no name, no white folk. Who told that lie? Uh, my dear, they teaching that stuff in the history book, talking about we was slavery. We wasn't no slavery. Our people weren't forefathers, not no slavery. They tell them lie. Y'all hear that, don't y'all? Y'all hear that? And we Choctaw right. That's right. We Choctaw. Y'all see a Choctaw, y'all. That's who we are. And our people were already here. And all of these history books have been lying. We just did the math. We just did the math. Now, so I can go now, back before that. Now, now, when, now remember... Black folks, there was the quantum blood law, and you know, black folks were reclassified at one point in time. So when she's talking about Choctaw, there's there was probably some there were some black folks, not every black folk, there were some free black folks. There was definitely some free black folks in the 17 and 1800s. So maybe her lineage, maybe her lineage. Maybe they had a you know groups of free black folks. I'm not really sure what their story is. I'm just happen to listen to an elder here in, in that regard. She's saying that you know they had land. She mentioned something about 900 acres of land and stuff like that. And they might have had some land back then. They said slavery was um. Freed in, in Texas. When I did the math, it didn't add up. So I asked my grandmother. And my grandmother said, I said, grandmother, I said, I, I said, my dear. So you mean, so were we slaves? Were we in the plantation? No, 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 uh-uh. No, we don't know about no plantation. I want to eat bomb and all that mess was going on. But my forefathers know better than they want from no plantation. You see that, y'all? So dirty is right there. My dear just confirmed it. 94 years young. 
we were not. We were not from no darn slavery like they're saying. And we want people to stop saying them lies. And she said the granddaddy owned her, had their own land. And, and we didn't have to work like that. We didn't have to work ourselves to death from sun up to sundown. They lying. And then we have all our fruit trees and stuff, my dear. Now, I don't know what year she's talking about, but you in the 1900s, a lot of black folks on land. And she might have been talking about even before that. I'm, I'm Like I say, I'm not sure. A lot of black folks was on them plantations. But she's saying that they weren't on them. They said that, you know, that they, they didn't they weren't on a plantation. Which, which was true. You had black people that, that were not slaves. They don't never tell us that. They make it seem like all of us was. But, you know, you, hell yeah, you had niggas on the plantation and shit. But you had some black folks that had their own land. Y'all hear that, don't you? You, you hear that, don't you? So they had taxes way back in 1800s. So we know now that the white men invaded. Yeah, yeah, of course they had taxes. Yeah, they had taxes in the 1800s. Absolutely. Yeah, this is America. There was some taxes now. Absolutely. Absolutely. I just thought I would play that. I just thought I would play that. Let's see here. What else do we got here? No, I don't want to hear that. I don't even, I won't even bother. I won't even bother there. Oh, here we go. Another thing. And that's another reason why I played that earlier from the, from the Canaan. Americans were redlined from opening businesses in white neighborhoods because white people didn't want Asian Americans operating in their neighborhoods and didn't want Asian Americans profiting off of white people. Oh yeah, this is really important. But because the positionality of Asian Americans is weaponized to oppress black people, Asian Americans were being given loans to open businesses in black communities, even though black people were not able to receive loans to open businesses in their own communities. Say what? And as I've said before, as a result of this, black wealth is essentially paid out twice when it goes to Asian American businesses, even though black people were not able to receive loans to open businesses in their own communities. See? So everybody robbing us. Black wealth is essentially paid out twice when it goes to Asian American businesses, once when the individual pays for the goods or services, and then again when the Asian American business owner removes the profit. From Asian Americans were redlined from opening businesses in white neighborhoods. Yeah, so so that's what so that's what I was saying, even on Magic Channel. I was like, no, y'all y'all didn't really have that happening to you. I mean, we was getting like you said from from the black codes. To Jim Crow, Jim Crow, the black codes, um, you had the Marshall Plan where they was basically just giving white men just the business, giving them literally the business, man. Doing they, th I mean, just doing a thing. 
and telling us, well, we can't get that. So, yeah, you of course you're going to have, you know, decades and decades of a start. What do we got here? Reward rappers for being... We reward rappers for being exactly what they are, and then they get on and make money, then all of a sudden you want them to be a political pundit? I don't want them to talk for me. They don't know what they're talking about, and they told you they were hustlers. So we sit in the crowd and act like we're holier than thou and talk about what rappers should do. Should do. Yeah, some rappers should do certain things, but you all should also stop teaching our children that Christopher Columbus discovered America. That's a lie. <laughs> You should stop as a doctor allowing these people to hook us on these drugs that are not good for us. Stop allowing these people to sell us food that's not real. So so, so for me, for you to turn around and put pressure on rappers, and then if they do, do decide to be political, you don't reward them for that, and you don't pay them for that. So it don't make sense. So if you want these children to do something, Show them how it looks to do it and be successful first, my opinion. And we reward rappers. That makes sense. Because, see, I, when I hear, I remember when Diddy did that old vote or die bullshit. Nigga, it should have been reparations or die. This nigga talking about vote or die, man. He done set Cassie out on a, on, you know, on a whore tour. This nigga done set Cassie out on a whore tour, man. Told us to, to, to vote or die. Didn't say reparations or die. You can't listen to these. You can't listen to these rap niggas about politics. Like like Banner said, man, they, they don't want to pay them. Most of them, when they get on the microphone, they don't know what they're talking about. They don't know what they're talking about. Did I play this already? Yeah, I played this already. Yeah, I played this already. Yeah, Joe. Yeah, 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 Joe. You're you're losing it. You're losing it. Here goes some. Here goes something else. I I gave this to my homie Simba Lee earlier. What we think we know is a new discovery that's changing what we think we know about how the Americas were settled. So there's this team at Florida State University that uh, discovered stone tools alongside mastodon bones. That means they found the oldest known site of human life in the southeastern U.S. Consider that. Think about it for just a second. We're joined now by Florida State University Assistant Professor uh, Jesse Holligan. Professor Holligan, good morning to you. Good morning to you guys. So put into just layman's waking up Saturday morning, eating my Wheaties terms, <laughs> what this means, the discovery of these tools. So these bones and artifacts show that people were in Florida. Uh oh. Um, 1500 years earlier than a lot of people except the americas were colonized and more importantly a lot of us were taught that the americas were colonized by some folks coming through an ice-free corridor from alaska through canada into north and south america around 13 and a half thousand years ago that's what most high school textbooks say that ice-free corridor wasn't open until 14,000 years ago this site is 500 years older than that and in florida which is by any stretch of the imagination, kitty corner across the continent from Alaska. So it means that we have really have to re-examine how and when 
the Americas were colonized. Uh oh, so this, is, uh, this is on its face fascinating. But when I look at the pictures and the images here, it's underwater. Yes. It, 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 some underwater sinkhole. Is that what we're looking at here? Yes, it's a sinkhole in the bottom of the Osceola River. Um, the people weren't, however, scuba diving 14 and a half thousand years ago. This was a site that would have been an isolated pond about 130 miles from the coast at the time people were here 14 and a half thousand years ago because sea levels were almost 300 feet lower then and Florida was nearly twice as big. There's a new Makes you wonder. Hmm. It really, truly makes you wonder. It really, truly makes you wonder here. Who was on that land before it got colonized? That's all I want to know. I'm just saying. Now, remember what they're telling us. Y'all can't get no reparations, but this is who you could bring in the country. And this is from the New York Post. A legal immigrant who raped an Ohio woman claims he was possessed by a demon. That's who they letting in the country. Remember, last episode, a little girl had been sexually assaulted up here in Brainerd. Now, this dude is from Nicaragua. He was deported five times. Now, he's been sentenced to 19 years behind bars for raping an Ohio woman. I don't know how he got. First of all, you're not supposed to be in this country in the first place. So how you got 19 years, you should have got 10 from being deported five times. So you could tell that this, this dude, he sexually assaulted a developmentally disabled woman in April 29th while she walked to a forest park bus stop. His hands was covered in the victim's blood after he viciously beat the woman in the head and the face. The brute who was still on the woman when police arrived tried to flee but was quickly arrested. The woman staff, the, the victim suffered head injuries, multiple facial fractures. Look at this dude. He pleaded guilty to rape, felonious and assault and kidnapping, 19 years in prison. She said the assault was one of the most brutal crimes on a complete stranger she has ever investigated in more than her 20 years in law enforcement. That's what the, sar the police sergeant said. Look at this dude. Talking about he was possessed by a demon at the time. He first entered the U.S. illegally in 2005 and was caught by the Border Patrol in Laredo, Texas. Then in Miami... He was arrested a few weeks later for a DUI and driving without a license. He was arrested three more times in Miami in 2006 and 2009 and 2012 for sexual battery and false imprisonment. Prosecutors chose not to pursue a conviction in the 2012 case. Then in July 2017, criminal complaint Matthews admitted to rafting across the Rio Grande into Texas. The next day, he was convicted and sentenced to time served one day and fined $10. And fine 
ten dollars. <coughs> but Tamir Rice was at a park with a toy gun. Tamir Rice was playing with a toy gun and gunned down by a white supremacist on the police force. That that's that's what we're dealing with, y'all. That's what we're dealing with. What do we got here? Oh, this is man, DJ Fresh needs to go ahead and drop this, man. Let me show him some love on here. This is off the hook. Please drop this tape. It's called the saxophone, the sax vibes, the sounds of DJ Fresh. You know, he play he plays that saxophone, Jack. It says, my sax instrumental tape is complete. I've been practicing over the few years with the help of some talented players. This will be my first non-rap genre official release, so it will be in the jazz genre and charts. Oh, man. He's killing it. This is it's cold. Man, DJ Fresh, I'm going to be honest. I'll go as far as to say he got Dre. DJ Fresh is amazing, man. The Tonight Show, he done, he done did some really amazing work, man. Shout out to DJ Fresh. DJ Fresh, man, is a pioneer. DJ Fresh is a pioneer. Now, there was something that I seen where they tried to say, let me see if I could pull this up. They were trying to say, and this is ridiculous. They were trying to say some garbage. Well, they try to say some garbage about Morocco started. Yeah. 60 Minutes tried this crap. Morocco inspired the American blues. Man, please. All right. If that's the case, show me the Muddy Waters and the Howling Wolf. My wife's sending me something up. This is, is hot on the press. This is hot on the press. I'm going to have to, yeah. Show me the howling wolf. That's all I want to know. Show me the howling wolf and show me the muddy waters. That's all I want to know. Show me the howling wolf and show me the muddy waters that inspired it. Because see, this is what we was doing in 1974. This is what we was doing in 1974. They weren't doing this in Morocco. This is 1974. Real big clap. Everybody shout. One Fair use, clap. YouTube. Fair use. Real loud clap. Everybody freeze. One more clap. Bust out, please. 
No, nah, y'all wasn't doing this in 1974. And I don't see no Puerto Ricans. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I don't see no Puerto Ricans. I don't see not one damn Puerto Rican in the, in, in the crowd. Not one. All foundationals. See that that that's the thing, man. When you start making comments that, well, hey, you know, you know, we gave black folks the game, and oh, we were, we were part of it, and this, that, and the third. I don't see y'all in none of these old school. I don't see none of these folks that saying that. I don't see them in these pictures. I'm looking at these old pictures, and I can see descendants of slaves. That's all I see. That's it. I just see the descendants of slaves, man. That's all I see in a lot of these old videos and, you know, this music and stuff. That's all I see. Uh, let me see what else we got. What, what else does? Okay, now check this out. Listen to this Sambo here. Now, for all the Negroes talking about, we need more black cops so we can change the system from the inside. Now, this is Louisville Police Chief Jacqueline Gwynn Villarol. She lied on the stand about not wearing her body cam on the day of a deadly incident caused by officers who violated LMPD Pursuit policy that killed an innocent black man, 22-year-old 22, 22 Travon Mitchell, when she was, in fact, wearing her body cam and she turned it off. Listen to this broad. Listen to this mammy. Chief Gwen Villaruel, who was on the scene at the time, testified Monday that there was no body camera footage from her camera because she was not wearing the device. However, attorneys for Mitchell's family and others injured proved otherwise. If you would have had it on you, you obviously would have turned it on, right? Because you were out there, you were interacting with the public, right? I would have activated it if I had it on. That's your story, you're sticking to it. That's my statement. I want to show the jury some truth and transparency. Where's the footage, G? Did you delete it? I didn't delete anything. How's the jury supposed to believe that? If you said all along, you didn't even have a witness. How are we as a community supposed to believe that? Do you have an answer? Is this, is this the day of the incident? 7-6-21. How are we supposed to believe you? And she don't say nothing. She should have been arrested. That mammy should have been arrested and indicted for perjury right there. And see, you're an officer of the law. There should have been a federal indictment for something like that. See, these race soldiers and these sambos that's on the police force, there should be something where it shouldn't just be a state charge. It should be an automatically federal charge. And you see Jim Crow Joe and the chicken fr and the fried chicken congressional immigrant caucus, these Negroes, they're not really trying to put nothing together for nothing like that. They're not really trying to put nothing together like that. Now, check this out. Now, this is from the... Inst 
the International Institute, this is hot off the press. I guess you got sent this. What is this? Now to St. Paul, where dozens of migrant families... Oh, let's turn this up. ...to make ends meet. Now to St. Paul, where dozens of migrant families are getting help to make ends meet. It's the first of its kind guaranteed income pilot program in the country. Really? Tonight, Charmaine Nero shows us how it works. Charmaine? Randy, the pilot targets recently resettled refugees with barriers to employment, something organizers say will provide a bridge to a more stable life here in Minnesota. For decades, the International Institute of Minnesota has helped provide services to immigrants and refugees, and now they're taking on a new pilot program. Mayor Carter's office contacted us to see if we were interested in piloting a guaranteed income project. Of course, we were very interested. Executive Director Jane Grotman says the program started enrollment efforts in April of this year. In this case, provides 25 families that we work with that will get receive $750 per month for 12 months, and we were just very excited about it. She says the city of St. Paul's Office of Financial Empowerment helps secure funding for this pilot through foundations and private funding. The majority of people um, are from Afghanistan. The rest of them oh, are diverse. Oh, Afghanistan, interesting. There was no study, no committee. There was no hearing. They didn't have to go through a bunch of plebiscite babble. Private funding. The majority of people um, are from Afghanistan. The rest of them are diverse from Guatemala, Congolese clients from Sudan and Ethiopia and Burma. But those mm. eligible must have been resettled through the organization and have either a single family household with children under 15, families with four or more children with one working parent, or must be a single adult with a physical or mental illness limiting their ability to work, or a family or single adult unable to work due oh, to they, they, they gonna the bypass that and get that bread. Outside their control. We had a family who is saving for a car because that'll help them get to their job. In the end, making a difference for more than two dozen families in the long term. We know how difficult it is to transition to and look, the country. You and last year with transition arrivals. no they're going to be the just fine term, i'm watching them they're walking through that airport to transition to a new country and last year with afghan arrivals and ukrainian arrivals and other people arriving it's a big transition for people and so to have some extra income really helps to take a lot of the pressure off the pilot wraps up next summer and will then be evaluated by outside investigators. Back to you, Randy. All right, Charmaine, thanks. Oh, man. Yeah, that was hot off the press. Hot off the damn press. That's crazy. Wilder telling black Americans what they can't do. See, they tell us what they can't do. They tell us what they can't do all the time, man. Yeah, they tell us what we can't do. They keep telling us what they can't do. There was something else that I had. Let me see if I can find this. 
Jeez, where's the... All right, hold on. Was this on my... Okay, now check this out. Now this lady, they had some sambo from NAACP hating on this sister. And, you know, I agree with her wholeheartedly. Illinois NAACP is coming under fire for disparaging comments she made about migrants. In video provided to ABC7, Teresa Haley calls migrants, quote, savages. Tonight, she is denying it. ABC7 political reporter Craig Wall has more on a call for her resignation and reaction from those defending her. Once you agree to take that funding... In a recent Zoom call meeting with NAACP leaders from around the state, Illinois President Teresa Haley is answering a question from a participant when she begins talking about all the migrants coming to Chicago and how they are living on the streets and that black people have been in similar predicaments for a long time and no one cares. Right. These immigrants have come over here. They've been raping people. They've been breaking into homes. They're like savages as well. They don't speak the language and they look at us like we were crazy. Governor J.B. Pritzker today denouncing those I agree. comments. She's right. Reprehensible remarks. Um, I would hope that uh, she would apologize for the remarks. Uh, I also think that people should recognize that. No, don't, don't apologize for a damn thing. Because whenever black folks try to get these same benefits that we pay taxes for we start getting told we ain't black and you shouldn't be disappointed you need to work with the hispanics and all that crap country are um all around us haley reached by phone while on vacation in dubai denied making the comments but when confronted about them being on video suggested it was a fake saying with ai anything is possible yeah. <laughs> Patrick Watson, who until recently was president of the DuPage County branch of the NAACP, says he resigned over those comments and... Now, now listen to this, Pastor Watson. This nigga's a coon. I suspect he's with the LGBT. Listen to this sambo. I think she should absolutely resign. I think she's unfit to be the president, the state president of the NAACP, someone that has that kind of sentiment and that kind of thought against migrant communities. But this nigga, this, bur this burly buck... This this burly, buck broken bastard, he just wants her spot. The new branch president, Michael Childress, says Haley suspended Watson after a run-in earlier this year and that Watson resigned after a vote of no confidence from the local branch leaders. Childress also claims Haley's comments were taken out of context. These comments are not indicative of what the NAACP stands for. But again, I'm not going to speak on behalf of Teresa Haley and say she should or shouldn't resign or things like that. That was codified. That now that what that brother said. He said I'm not going to speak on whether or not that was. I'll, I'll give him that. That was codified. Now we got to support this sister. Fuck the NAACP, nigga. <laughs> the Congressional Black Caucus of the NAACP, man, them niggas have been. Them niggas have been agents for a long time. We don't need them. We, 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 we truly do not need the NAACP. They do nothing. Because you get some real stomp down niggas like her, and this is what they do to her. H. County Branch President says despite this controversy, Teresa Haley has a solid record of positive accomplishments for the NAACP, and he stands fully behind her. Craig Wall, 87 Eyewitness News. Watch breaking. Meanwhile, this is what you got. This disturbing trend that we've seen over the past really few weeks. 
Thanks for joining us at 9. I'm Don Hasbrook. And I'm Anthony Ponce. Two days in a row, groups of Venezuelan migrants were charged with burglaries in DuPage County. Casey Cronus is live in Oak Brook tonight. Casey. Hey, Anthony and Don. In both cases, the thieves were using devices to try and trick the store's security systems. Now, officials are investigating. Now, where are, you, where are these illegals getting electronic devices? Where the hell are they getting devices like that? Y'all supposed to be from a war-torn country. How were you able to get all these electronic devices and then do all this retail theft? Man, please. Getting whether the incidents are connected. In a crowded Oak Brook shopping center, prosecutors say two men from Venezuela were caught stealing $750 in clothing from Macy's. When police tried to stop them, one of the men refused, trying to get away before he was brought to the ground and handcuffed. They went in with a foil line bag, which again is designed to defeat the theft detection system that is installed at the store. One day earlier on Black Friday, three migrants also from Venezuela who've been living in Waukegan allegedly took $500 worth of merchandise from Kohl's in Elmhurst. In that case, they were carrying a large magnet. This is your friendly illegal aliens coming up here wreaking havoc on, havoc on the cities. And they let them out during this damn Illinois Safety Act crap. I'm telling you, man. What a piece of work. What a piece of work. Yesterday. Hold on. Hold on. Fair use, YouTube. Let's go into what was that film that I was looking at? You know, I was going to talk about this a little earlier, but I might as well go ahead and just get it out the way. We'll probably wrap this up in another 20, 30 minutes or whatever, but I wanted to kind of get this out the way, man. Lately, I've been watching a lot of World War II movies. And, you know, at one point in my life, I was not able to watch these, you know, the mouth is running too fast and these international movies. But, man, I remember Saving Private Ryan. That was really pretty much the creme de la creme when it came to cinematography when it comes to war movies. Man, there's been some movies out here. I'm going to give y'all the list. I'm going to give y'all some heavy, heavy World War II game. I never really thought about Nazi Germany in the way that I look at it now. Like I said before, if you watch The Pianist, they were using Jim Crow. Remember, the descendants of slaves in the, in the United States of America, we are the measuring stick when it comes to white supremacy. Hey, let's... We got to measure and, and use a ruler to see how these Negroes is mistreated. And then they duplicate that around the world. Nazi Germany used a lot of Jim Crow tactics. And remember, when the war was over, such things such as Operation Paperclip and a lot of these little covert operations, man, they was bringing in Nazis and smuggling them in left and right. You had Nazis that was sitting in theaters literally sitting in the theater front row where black folks had to be in nosebleeds. You had black folks that had to be, had to go way to the back of the theater and you had flat out Nazi war criminals, man, that was sitting out there with the white supremacist front row. This, this is facts. A lot of people don't know this. Now <clears throat> there was a Netflix 
there was a Netflix series. I think it was like two seasons. It was very, very good. It was called Rebellion. And I watched that. There was a lot of like counterintelligence and spying and all of that. And they were breaking down. But this was with... And it's a great case study. You know, I don't just bring stuff up just for the sense of bringing things up. But I guess it was the Brits and the Irish going at it. So they had different ideologies. You had, I think it was Ireland and Scotland. So, you know, it kind of made me think about a conversation I had with a white guy from a European man from, I think he was from the UK and I was asking them like the breakdown of, okay what's the difference between Ireland Scotland and the UK and their ideologies and things like that oh he was going off like he was talking about the rebellions and the and I mean he was really turning up and I could kind of tell he was passionate about it because you could tell that's why I don't man listen I don't never let no sambos or no race soldiers get away with this old well you know the black on black crime and you Negroes need to do better and get it together and this that and that I don't I don't let them go off with that because how we learn it nigga we learned it from the mob shout out to the shout out to the mob and the Irish the gangs of New York three hundred good fellas we learned it from the best we learned it from the savages. So whenever they try to say, oh, well, you know, Chief Keith in Chicago, Chicago, Chicago. Yeah, where we learn that from? Nigga, we learned that from the IRA. We learned that from the IRA. When you look at that 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 series on Netflix where the rebellion, it, you know, a lot of a lot of military intelligence. And they was going at it. I mean, they was shooting each other. They was kidnapping folks. They was cutting people's hair. They was slapping holes. They was doing all kind of stuff. The same stuff that they say, oh, you know, they drill rap, drill rap, drill rap. Um, Another series I seen, because I was trying to, you know, I'm looking at a lot of this stuff as case studies. So I've been watching a lot of World War movies. And I was like, well, damn, how did Germany, how did Nazi Germany... How were they able to basically take over East Europe? Well, for one, they had a lot of propaganda. They, man, a lot of them soldiers and a lot of them folks, man, they were like machines. Like, their codification and their code of conduct was heavy. They had good tanks. They had better weapons. Um, There was a lot of mental, psycho, a lot of psyop propaganda. You got to keep in mind... In Nazi Germany, man, you had a lot of people. You had a lot of people that their next door neighbors that might have been Jewish, whatever the case is, they had family members and all kind of stuff like that. So you had some people that were like, okay, yeah, they might have been Nazis, but they were hiding people sometimes. Um, if you ever heard the term um, Action T4? There's a four-part series that was breaking down the World War, uh, World War II and how Nazi Germany um, succeeded in trying to knock, you know, trying to, you know, capture Poland and all these places. And France just gave it up. <laughs> France didn't even really fight back like that. They just said, "Man, they just, they just pretty much just said, all right, just, just come through." Um. Japan was down with it. I've never seen this, but see, that's another thing. This old minority coalition and all that, man, let's be clear. Man, France, you could look at these Japanese chicks and they holding up swastikas. Japan was down with the white supremacists, all 10 toes down. And even in Northern Africa and Libya, 
they like the Germans. A lot of them, when they they didn't like some of their own dictators, so when the Germans came through, they wasn't really tripping about it. You see, um, in episode two of that World War uh, documentary, around the 19-minute mark, a lot of the Americans, they didn't really want to deal with the World War II. They were like, hey, this ain't got nothing to do with us. You know, the British, they kept begging and begging for us to get involved and all that. And you had a lot of these rednecks that was talking like, man, that ain't, that's on y'all. But when they brought when they bombed Pearl Harbor, they were like, hey, oh, it's on. They had to respond at that time. They had to respond. And one thing about a lot of the World War movies and when they talk about Nazi Germany and stuff like that, one thing I'll say is in they're going to make sure that the narrative that they tell, they're going to, it's a testament of them controlling the narrative. See black folks, we get bullshit like color purple and stuff where you get the black gender divide, where you just get the black brute complex. Oh, these black men are raping and selling their children and beating woman's ass and making her cook eggs and steak and pancakes and kicking ass. And Hey, you don't, don't nigga, don't fix that mail. Why don't fix that mailbox? So I know you be looking at it. I f- nigga, nigga, I fixed that mailbox. I know when you be looking at. See, that's what we get. We get that. But when these two people start talking about Nazi Germany and you know uh, the Holocaust, man, they 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 make sure that their narrative is told right. They control their narrative. They don't let nothing slide that ain't true. If they if they're trying to convey a narrative, they're gonna get their history uh, across. That's why we need to continue to have stuff like Hidden Colors. I don't want to hear nothing about no damn John Lewis, no good trouble ass niggas. I don't want no, I don't want to hear that. I don't want to hear no nigga talking about, man, the police should kick your ass and you thank them and you and you never hated them and you thank them for their service. No, 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 no. See, that's the narrative that they give us, the bought and paid Negro. The Sambo Plantation nigga narrative. No, nah, we don't need the Plantation Sambo nigga narrative. We need to be able to tell our story like how these folks in here in World War II and Nazi Germany is telling their story. They ain't missing a beat. They're not about to have no, you know, the narrative that they're going to give is going to be, it, it, it's going to be leaning towards making sure their people's story is told in the right way, in the light of them. I watched Schindler's, Schindler's List. I, I, I When I watched that, I said, okay, that's another case study. Man, them, them Jewish folks was not going to let you tell the bullshit story. They would have been on Spielberg's ass if he would have told. See, he, like I say, they give us Mr. and Suge Avery. Suge Avery P. <laughs> they want to give us Suge Avery P in the Black Brute Complex. So they'll, they'll give all that nigga shit to us. But when it comes to they folks, man, they make sure. That it gets told right. I watched Schindler's List. I watched something called Norvik. Hold on. Somebody's texting me right here. War Sailor. That was a three-part series. That was real good. That was kind of grimy. I think that was... I don't know where that was. I think it was kind of over in the Netherlands or something like that. It's called War Sailor. Really, really good. Really, really good. Basically, man, these folks had to kind of leave their homes and they didn't they thought they was gonna come back home and fight. And you had one dude that was just nailing this dude's wife watching and when when he comes back, 
She was acting all funny style. His son was disrespectful. I mean, it was it was it was bad, man. It was bad. It's called War Sailor. That's good. The zookeeper's Zoopie, wife. That's another really good one. Forgive us our trespassers. That's a 15-minute short film. I wish it would have been longer, but that was pretty good. See, a lot of the Nazis were um what they were doing was if you had like a physical ailment or you weren't pure Aryan or whatever the case may be, you know, they might capture some black folks or they'll capture some some people that wasn't white enough or something and they'll say, Well, look, we gonna put you over here, you know, your skin and your your you know, maybe your dick is too dark or some bullshit. <laughs> they'll they'll say anything. They'll say anything like, oh, you, you, you're darker and you, your eyes is darker. Your balls is too dark. But, oh, you're not white enough. So they'll put you in one category. Then they'll put another person, you know, another group. And, okay, oh, they're, they're a little whiter than others. And, you know, oh, this person's subhuman or whatever the case may be. Um, There was another film. Let me play some audio. What was that called? Let me find that audio. Oh, oh, All Quiet on the Western Front. Y'all want to check that out too. All Quiet on the Western Front. Oh, okay. Champion. Now, on the 31-minute mark. Now, listen to this. This dude was really but, uh, butthurt about this. Oh, he was butthurt on this. This was a movie. Let me see if I could... This was a movie. Hold on, hold on, hold on, wait a minute. This was a movie about a dude that was a boxer, and he was in Auschwitz. If I if I if I say it right, he was in Auschwitz. So they were using him, and Neely Fuller talks about this a lot. And with greater confinement, he was in greater confinement, of course. And he was he was at one of the Nazi concentration camps, but he had them mittens. So he was like a symbol of hope for the for the other prisoners. He was a boxing champion. He was from I think Warsaw, Poland. Is is Warsaw in Poland? Where's Warsaw at? Hold on. Let me get let me get my facts straight. Where's Warsaw? Yep, it's in Poland. It's the capital and the largest city of Poland. Okay, so he was in Warsaw, Poland. That's where he came from. He had them hands. And Basically, once they found out that he had hands, the white supremacists started betting on him. The Nazis were like, well, you know, let's let's bet on him and he's he's giving folks the business and whatnot. So let me see if I can find this. This is at the 31 minute mark. Where is this at? Now check this out. Now this fair use YouTube fair use this is a section This is a section man I got to give y'all some game here some analysis I'm going to give you the bagland analysis This is this is the area in the movie where he's where you have one Nazi soldier he's at home and his son is asking him questions this is this movie's called The Champion it came out in 2020 it's pretty good and his dad is just kind of sitting at the table. His dad is sitting at the table and he's not really paying his son too, too much mind. And now, now watch this. 
Yes. May I show you something? Hold on, hold on. Let's go back. Papa. Here we go. He's sitting at the dinner table with his pops, and he's holding and he's holding a monkey. Now I find I find that kind of interesting. He's holding a monkey. Papa. Papa. Yes. May I show you something? So he's going over to get a book. Now watch this part. This this is he gonna be real butt hurt. Look at look at this. Why did Ulan Von Ryan lose to the Black American? Oh, <laughs> it's very simple. His coach was a Jew. Gerhard. He looks like he doesn't want to win. That was a conspiracy. Now, now, now y'all, I, I want y'all to understand this. What's happening here? Children are innocent. So they're like, okay, well, he's asking for the truth. His dad's lying to his face, literally. That's how hard that psyops and psychological propaganda that they pushed. His son went and got a book where a foundational black American put the beats on a German. This dude must have been German or something. I, I want y'all to really, really understand the mindset and the mentality behind Nazi Germany. Now, deep down inside, his dad knows that them found other, the descendants of slaves then put them mittens on these on them white men. You put a black man in them times, man, in the ring with a white dude, man. It ain't, man. Them, them brothers is putting them mittens on them. So first he tried to say, well, he had a Jewish coach. That's the first thing he tried to say. Then he turned around. The son was like, well, man, it doesn't look like he want to win. This black American was kicking his ass. Now, this is a picture. He, he went and got a book in the house where he showed, you know. So first he tried to say, well, he had a Jewish coach. So he's blaming it on the Jewish person here. Well, he had a Jewish coach. So that's that's number one. Then his son is like, well, man, this, this dude didn't really look like he wanted to win. He got his ass kicked. Oh, it's a conspiracy. So he he's he's really, really using his race soldier card. I want to play this again. I'm going to play this a few times so y'all really understand. I don't think y'all get it. See y'all, y'all come to these other little podcasts. Y'all go to these other little podcast broadcasts and get a little bullshit and analysis. No, you come here and you get the real deal, Holyfield. You're not gonna get the John Lewis analysis, nigga. You're gonna get the Nat Turner analysis. Now remember, y'all, this was in Nazi Germany. This kid got this book showing that the descendants of slaves was kicking ass. Why did Ulan von Rhein lose to the black American? Ulan von Rhein. Let's look him up. Ulan von Rhein. What is this? Oh, okay. 
Is this the same guy? Okay, so Maximilian Adolf Otto Seafried Smilling was a German boxer who was a heavyweight champion in the world between 1930 and 1932. He his two his two fights with Joe Lewis in 1936 and 1938 were worldwide cultural events because of their national associations. Smilling is the only boxer to win the world heavyweight championship on a foul. So it looks like right here, okay, they say he started his professional career in 1924. Number one contender, it says in 1936, in their first fight, Smilling knocked out rising star Joe Lewis, placing him as the number one contender for Jim Braddock's title. But Lewis got the fight and knocked Braddock to, out to win the championship in 1937. So Jim Braddock, there's a movie that I just watched not too long ago uh, with Russell Crowe called Cinderella Man. Cinderella Man. So let's see here. I don't know if this was the same dude, but his dad sure was lying. Why did Uland von Rhein? Let me let me look this up again. Uland von Rhein. Is that the same person? Oh, the nickname Black Ulan of the Rhine. He was a world champion, heavyweight fighter from Germany, whose two fights with Joe Lewis transcended boxing and became worldwide political events because of their racial and international importance. After rising to the top of the heavyweight ranks, Smilling fought a famous non-title fight with the previously undefeated Lewis in 1936, knocking the 22-year-old African-American fighter down in the fourth round and finishing him off in the 12th. Now listen to this. Smilling's title and image were used as a propaganda tool by Adolf Hitler to demonstrate Aryan supremacy. However, despite his associations with Nazism after the Second World War, it was revealed that Smilling had risked his own life to save the lives of two Jewish children in 1938. So they were talking about Max Smilling. Let's go back to the movie. He said, why did he lose to the black American? Was he talking about Joe Lewis? Let's go back. Why did Ulan von Rhein lose to the black American? It's very simple. His coach was a Jew. Gerhard. The mom tried to shut it he down. looks like he doesn't want to win. That was a conspiracy. You have to understand that. Boxing is a sport for peasants. Next week, you have writing lessons. I've read that boxing is like playing chess, only a hundred times faster. Mm. Off to bed. See, he can't fool this little kid. This kid knows. 
He understands greatness. He's like, no, that's like chess. They're trying to make sure they, they don't have that conversation. I just want to play that. See, I didn't I didn't know the whole the whole thing, but it looks like they said he knocked down Joe Lewis. Yeah, nicknamed Black Ulan of the Rhine. He was German. Born 1905. He died 2005. Hmm. Okay. I would like to hear more about this dude. Because he died. If he died in 2005, he might have some footage talking about the fighting. He might be talking about the fighting. Joe Lewis versus... Okay, hold on. Is, it, is this some video? Let's get some footage here. is giving him the beats. Man, Joe Lewis is beating the shit out of this dude, man. Joe Lewis is kicking this dude's ass. That's why, you know what? That's why the kid said he looks like he don't want to win. So, of course, Hitler had to use that as propaganda. He used it as a propaganda tool. There's another film. Um, Let me see. Let me, let me look this up real quick. Let me look this up real quick here. Let me see. What, what's the name of it? Oh, uh, All the Light We Cannot See. All the Light We Cannot See. That's a, a fantastic film. That'll give you kind of an idea. You had basically this soldier that was basically like, you know... He was in, he was a Nazi 
And they were trying to get him to find some woman because the woman was using a radio to be able to kind of tell where, you know, I don't really want to give all the information, but that's a that's another great white supremacist case study where they breaking it down on, you know, how Nazi Germany did their thing. You know, when he came in, you know, he was good at fixing radios and they were like, man, uh, actually, one of the guys that was in the movie is in this new um, Netflix film called uh, that. And that breaks down colonization, too. It's called The Moon, The Red Moon or something like that. It's something that just came out. It's by Rick Snyder. Rick Snyder that did uh, 300. He directed 300. He directed Superman. Um, One of the lead characters is in that movie as well. He's in that movie, I believe, as well. I think so. Let me double check, but I, I think he's in that movie as well. I'll give you the name. Okay, so all the light we cannot see. Okay, that's a good. It's a, it, it's really good. Okay, it's. Well, let me see. Now the hawk is in that movie too. Mark Ruffalo, the Incredible Hawk. Is this guy? Hold on. Maybe I was mistaken. I could have sworn the guy that was in that new... Because sometimes they switch these folks around. They put them in a lot of these same little movies on Netflix and this, that, and the third. Okay, well... Maybe, yeah. Maybe he was not in it. Maybe he wasn't. I don't know. But, uh, yeah, all the light we cannot see... That uh, is very good. That breaks down, you know, a lot of how Germany ended up getting control of Europe. Well, let me get this uploaded for y'all. I think I didn't gave y'all enough game for one night. We'll see y'all next week. Um... There's a couple other things I want to cover, but I'll just go ahead and let those go. I will see y'all next week, weekend, and we will cover some more.